0: Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Michael Loria. I am a emergency medicine EMS retrieval physician at the University of New Mexico, currently in Critical Care Fellowship. And I'm here today to talk to you about the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine's Academy Series on Patient Transport. I'd like to start out by thanking some of my co-authors. I could not have done it without them. We had an amazing team working on this academy series. I'd like to start out with uh, Pierre Marc Dion, who's actually a our uh, was a critical care nurse in the Canadian military and has a phenomenal amount of transport experience and is actually currently a medical student at the University of Ottawa. Uh, another author who helped it out quite a bit, especially when it came to mechanical circulatory support and a lot of advanced Interfacility, critical care transport modalities, the illustrious Marcus Rudolph, who's a specialist in anesthesia and a retrievalist working at the University Hospital of Mannheim in Mannheim, Germany. And finally, uh, Dr. Brian Burns. A good friend and uh, amazing pre-hospital retrieval specialist with the New South Wales Ambulance or Sydney Hems Service out of Sydney, Australia, who has a background in emergency medicine and is an associate professor uh, in emergency medicine at Sydney Medical School. Amazing team from around the world representing three continents and a broad variety of experience. We worked really hard to bring you some uh, high-yield topics that explain and sort of outline for the non-retrievalist people working in intensive care medicine what we do in critical care transport. I think it's important to mention that I think our joint general philosophy is that critical care is not just a place, it's not just a unit in the hospital, it's a way of thinking. And that across the globe, we have amazing intensive care physicians of various specialties and backgrounds that are bringing critical care, not only downstairs, but outside the hospital to where these patients are at in the field or smaller critical access facilities around various countries and nations to give you a general overview the way we laid out this academy series was in three parts the first part was essentially an introduction to critical care transport and what we talked about here was sort of a general approach when and where transfers should occur, indications for transfer. We talked about risks and benefits as well as ethical considerations. Is it really appropriate to transfer some of these patients if there is unlikely to be any change in care or really change in outcome for that person? We also talked about stabilization prior to transfer, and this is probably particularly relevant To uh, our friends who do not do retrieval medicine, and a lot of people who are enrolling in the course, who are intensivists working in community hospitals, large tertiary or quaternary centers, how do you actually prepare someone for transport or stabilize them before transport? We talked about specific uh, specialized equipment. As things as technology develops and things have evolved over the years, we've developed some amazing technological systems from mechanical ventilation to um, mechanical circulatory support that allow us to provide an exceptionally high level of critical care in transport. I would argue often uh, just the same level as you can get in a uh, tertiary quaternary center ICU. Finally, we talked about QA and uh, we talked about actually different team compositions, QA and governance, and how we try to improve these uh, transport systems overall. In part two, we went over an introduction to interfacility and intrafacility transport. We started out by essentially talking about the different mechanisms of transport, who's appropriate for air, who's appropriate for ground. And if you're going by air, uh, are you going by plane or are you going by helicopter? Some of these are obviously limited based upon the resources at your disposal. But in general, we really wanted to discuss what is best practice in terms of how we choose. We also talked about the physiological stressors of flight. So if you're planning on putting a patient in a helicopter or an airplane based upon where you are, thinking about the pathology in front of you and some of the stressors that that patient may experience in flight. My favorite part of these chapters is something that I would really, really, really encourage people to enroll in these Academy Series for because it goes over essentially some of the stuff that most people don't get taught in intensive care medicine or critical care fellowship, which is how to interact with transport teams and the logistics so, for example, you're going to transport a team, uh, a patient who is uh, septic and on multiple vasoactive medications, mechanically ventilated, and getting sent to a another facility for a specific therapy or intervention that's not available where you're at. Well, thinking about ahead, how do I prepare that patient? This transport team is coming. I know they're on multiple vasoactive medications. Thinking about getting fresh bags of those medications available for the team, for sedative medications and analgesic medications, yes, most teams will bring those medications to the bedside, but it's so helpful when we show up and all of our extra medicine is available immediately for us and actually facilitates a smoother, faster transport a lot of the time also how to interact with the team how to talk to them and explain what happened a lot of the times in under various circumstances we find that the 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 physician who's actually sending the patient isn't always available to talk to us which surprises me sometimes some of the best transfers i had and i think some of the uh, and, and my colleagues would agree some of the smoothest best transfers that we have had are when the sending physician is there to discuss exactly what happened, why they made the clinical decisions that they made, and, of course, their thoughts on courses of action and transport. They know the patient so well and delivering that information on your primary alternate contingency or emergency plans if things don't go as expected is incredibly value. It saves the time and cognitive energy that you have to put into thinking about some of those things when the sending physician has been with that patient for hours or even days. So I think that's really important um, for people who are ICU professionals, for our, who are involved in critical care, and may not necessarily be actually doing the transfers themselves. We talk about treatment en route, receiving the patient, on the flip side, being there when the when the critical care transport team shows up, when their retrieval team arrives and drops off the patient, listening carefully to their report, making sure we get all the information we can from them. Again, they've been with this patient potentially for hours, titrating medications, changing ventilator settings. And it's really important, I think, to get that information and a good, solid handoff to, physician, to um, facilitate a smooth transfer of care. And finally, we get into things like mechanical circulatory support, so more of the advanced high-end modalities like ECMO transport and talking about how to facilitate those. And lastly, touching on the ever-important intra-facility transport an often overlooked aspect of patient transport that, although you're not leaving the walls of the hospital, is also fraught with complications and special considerations should be made for moving those patients to areas of the hospital for either procedures or diagnostic tests. And finally, a section that is really near and dear to my heart, of course, is the pre-hospital transport and patient care section. This really focuses on what we in critical care transport call primary retrieval missions, or field responses, or scene calls, where you're actually going out and interfacing not at another hospital, but perhaps on the side of the highway or with another emergency medical service agency or organization to primarily interface with, evaluate, treat, and transport a patient to their first destination hospital. This, is, this chapter goes over uh, patient assessment and some of the management on scene, really important for our colleagues in the hospital to understand what we have to deal with and how we have to manage it on scene, as well as developments in pre-hospital procedures, technologies, and some of the evidence basis for the critical procedures and things that we do in the field. We go on to talk about pre-hospital report and handoff, a critical, critical, critical handoff when we are first presenting this patient to the hospital, talking to the trauma team or ICU team about what's transpired, what was going on in the field, and what happened en route. And finally, perhaps one of my favorite sections of this entire Academy series was presenting, especially to our non-retrieval colleagues who work in ICUs, the training that actually goes into uh, educating providers and preparing them. If you want to be a retrieval physician, what they go through and some of the best practices in training those physicians who have only worked in a hospital to now work in the transport environment and respond to some of these calls in the field. And finally, a fantastic section that was uh, driven primarily by Pierre Marc on the military and global transport. This is um, somewhat of a niche transport Uh, section, uh, but it is nonetheless very important as many nations' militaries have essentially led the way in thinking about and pioneering how we move patients, not just Perhaps across a country, but across the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. It's a monumental task. There's a lot of logistics involved. And we've done it with some very, very, under some very, very interesting circumstances and not just combat but things like infectious disease and uh, very, very large mass casualty events like earthquake. And then, of course, something that doesn't happen very often, but our civilian counterparts certainly may encounter, which is repatriation. So a, uh, a fellow countryman is overseas or in another country hiking, climbing, uh, or just visiting and becomes critically ill and needs to be transported many thousands of miles over a country's borders back to you at your hospital. So some thoughts and some uh, information on that as well. Overall, myself and my co-authors tried really hard to make this approachable, not just for people who are in or about to engage in transport medicine or retrieval medicine, but for our colleagues that work in ICUs and other locations throughout the hospital about specific considerations that they should think about and uh, environmental considerations, uh, as well as many of these other topics. So we really hope it's of utility to the listeners uh, and uh, readers, and we really, really do hope that you enjoy this section or these three chapters on critical care patient transport in the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine's amazing academy. Thank you so much. Take care and be safe out there.